People gathered in the streets to see the unfurling of large banners honoring their loved ones, who were all organ and tissue donors. It happened in Springfield, Illinois, early in August, National Minority Donor Awareness Month. My husband was an awesome, awesome father, husband, provider, protector. He talked when uh, he was alive about becoming a donor. When he passed, it was a little difficult. That's when the hard part comes in. That's Monica Butler talking about her deceased husband, Marcus, or Brother Marcus, as everyone called him. It was at a recent special event in Springfield, Illinois, to unveil large banners of organ and tissue donors on the street, where everyone can see these heroes and pay tribute. They've given such a precious gift, the gift of hope. I'm Marion Shuck, host of Let's Talk Hope, a podcast featuring stories about organ and tissue donation and the power of creating lasting legacies. Another family with the banner now flying in Springfield is the Hubbards. Today, I'm speaking with Christy Hubbard, a donor mom who's here to share her story about her incredible son, Devereaux to Hubbard. Christy, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me, Marion. I read this incredible story about your son, and I am so sorry for your loss. But can you just tell me a little bit about this incredible son with this amazing name, which I love, by the way, his amazing nickname, The Hulk 2. I'm a huge <laughs> Marvel fan. So awesome. it just sounds incredible, but at the same time, a little hard for you in the loss of a child. Can you tell us a little bit about his story? Well, yes, Marion. Our son, Devereaux, too, as we called him, is obviously named after my husband, Devereaux Hubbard. And um, he was a big baby. He was 10 pounds at birth. So wow, he's, um, <laughs> he's always been what we called a little larger than life. But he was a great kid, an average kid playing sports, good in school, generally a gentle giant um, is what he was. Because again, like I said, from birth, he was a pretty big kid. Did well in high school, played uh, football, and he was on the track team. He was a thrower, shot put in discus. And when it was time to go to college, like like many parents of student athletes, we um, looked at a lot of colleges and a lot of programs, and he landed on going to Southern Illinois University um, here in Carbondale, Illinois, about four and a half hours away from us. Typical freshman year, experienced life, had fun, did all of that type of stuff. Came home, worked that summer. Again, pretty active kid. He wasn't playing college sports, but he was still very active. Lots of friends and just living a pretty good life. Sophomore year of college began. He went back to school that fall, came home for a fall break and for Thanksgiving. Great times. Everything was good. Um, Christmas break came around and he let us know that he was uh, coming home. He and his best friend were going to be driving together um, home. And he did tell us the day before he was coming home, he wasn't feeling that good, um, but he was just ready for the semester to be over and come home and rest. And uh, he came home from school on a Friday evening and was not feeling well at all. Um, he had flu-like symptoms, sick to the stomach, really lethargic. Um, and he was just like, mom, I just need to rest. And so we were like, okay, fine. Saturday, he was feeling a little bit better, had some friends over. Um, just, he had just come home, had just come home from college 
and um, he still didn't feel himself, but he thought he was feeling a little bit better. Sunday morning came around and we got up to go to church as our family always does. And he was like, hey, I don't think I can make it. My stomach is sick again and I just don't feel right. So I'm just going to lay down until you guys get home. And we're like, okay, we'll see you after church. We came home um, that afternoon from church and he was pretty lethargic and laying around. I called the emergency room because it was a Sunday and I knew we couldn't get into our regular doctor. And they said, pretty much, there's nothing you can do. It's this flu season. Keep him hydrated and make an appointment with your family doctor um, on Monday. And so that was our plan. Uh, later on that evening, we did what we always do. We watched football after Sunday dinner. And he laid on the couch, um, pretty lethargic, but um, flu-like symptoms again. And later as that evening progressed, um, he got ready to go to bed and his bedroom was downstairs. And so he went downstairs and I went down to check on him right before I was getting ready to go to bed. And he just didn't look right. And I said, are you feeling worse? And he was like, yeah, it feels like I can't breathe anymore. So I'm like, no, we can't do this. We're going to the emergency room right now. So I woke my husband up and he and I um, got him up the stairs and into the car. And our house is less than about... Uh, 20 minutes from the nearest hospital. And we were had driven from our house maybe about eight or nine minutes until he slumped over in the back seat. I immediately jumped in the back seat, began to do CPR. My husband called 911. Um, um, the ambulance met us at the car on the side of the road. Um, but by the time the ambulance got there, I knew um, that my baby was gone. Mm. Um, there was there, there was nothing. I mean, I continue to do the chest press. I continue to do the mouth to mouth, but, but, I, but I knew. So we arrived at the hospital and it took a few hours for them to come out and finally tell us that um, there was nothing that they could do. Um, and needless to say, it was the worst day of my life. Um, as a family, we had talked about i mean we're, we're christians we're believers um so we talked about death we talked about um you know the importance of organ donation i always told my kids that that's what i wanted to do and i expected them to do that for me not for me to make have to make a decision um to do that for any one of them uh but as the procedures do go um, um at the hospital we were there several hours to we in the morning um, not wanting to leave, obviously, because that would make it real mm -hmm. um, to go home without him. Um, and I think if I remember correctly, because it is truly a blur, um, I, I think that we didn't talk to someone that that exact day when we left the hospital. But a good friend of mine who was a nurse at that same hospital um, came to our house um, within a couple of hours of us getting home um, to check on us, obviously. And she mentioned um, whether, because she knew my beliefs, because we went to college together and she's known me for a long time. Um, she asked, you know, what did we want to do about organ donation? And we were like, yeah, you know us, we believe in organ donation. So um, yeah, she said, well, I actually have to go back to work in a little bit and I'll make sure that the information is carried on. Whew. Um, and so that's kind of how we got connected with Gift of Hope. Thank you again. I'm so sorry for your loss. But, you know, I hear a lot of stories and I hear 
folks say it was a normal day, nothing out of ordinary. And the same thing happened to me, Christy, just so you know, same thing. Um, My husband passed two years ago. We were riding our bikes and he just had a heart attack. And so to your point that it is a blur, it is a blur. And so thank you for even thinking about the possibility to be able to think about organ donation on the worst day of your life, because that's an incredible selfless act. Can you tell me a little bit about what you found out after Devereaux passed that is something unusual, especially for a family of color? Number one, we found out that what, what, what took his life was a pulmonary embolism, which is a blood clot. And um, the statistics are actually very high. 274 people die every day in the United States from a blood clot. But prior to Devereaux's death, we had no idea about blood clots. We had never really, I mean, we've heard of a blood clot, but we hadn't heard of the signs or the symptoms or that it could happen to what are seemingly healthy people. Um, So we started to do a lot of research to find out what this was. And we did find out that in our family specifically, um, we have a genetic disorder called factor five Leiden deficiency. And um, both my husband and my younger son have that same um, clotting disorder. So we have been, you know, adamant about getting people to find out if they have that, as well as other things that can cause deadly blood clots. So we also, we spent some time doing that type of research, but we continued to look at, because we look at the numbers of people, especially minorities, who understand, or who don't, I hate to say it, understand the value of organ donation. Because again, this was our introduction to specifically Gift of Hope. And once we you know, clarified that we wanted um, to donate re- as related to Devereaux too, um, they let us know that actually minorities had the lowest rate of donation. And we thought that, you know, hey, we need to do whatever we can to increase that number. So we were kind of doing something twofold. We're trying to decrease the number of people who lose their lives to blood clots, but increase the number of people who understand the value of life going on through donation. Um, So we have uh, been supporters of Gift of Hope ever since. And we also, as Christians, know that in the church, there's a lot of incorrect information that goes out. Um, You know, we've heard in our own church um, growing up and in the church that we're in now, you know, you're not supposed to donate your organs because you'll need them when you get to heaven. Well, that's not true. And that doesn't make any sense. But, you know, that's a story that is constantly perpetuated. You know, and another one that we've heard, I actually heard it today talking to a young man because I was telling him um, because he works part time at our church and I was telling him about the podcast. And he said, well, I heard that if you have organ donation on your on your driver's license, um, they won't save you if you get into an accident, you know, and I had started that is absolutely not true. So there's a lot of work. I've been working for Gift of Hope for 12 years. I've heard every one of those myths and misconceptions, especially to your point about the low donation rate or not even donation rates, but the low registration rates. Right. For families of color. 
um, with regards to organ and tissue donation because yep. they do, you know, believe in these myths and misconceptions. And then two, they have a healthy mistrust Absolutely. of um, healthcare professionals because to that young man's point, yep. if it's on his license, they won't do anything to save his life. And you and I both know that that is totally unacceptable Correct. to believe that type of myth and misconception in this day and age. And so as you talk about the factor five Leiden, what are you, what are you sharing um, with most specifically families of color, but then how do you help folks understand or how do we get tested um, for, for this genetic trait that may be in our community? And we were totally not aware of, right? Right, right. So it's a couple things. Number one, you've got to be your own best healthcare advocate with anything that's going on with your body. When something feels strange and you're dismissed, you have to say no. Just telling me, you know, I'll be better later or it'll go away is not acceptable. For example, um, a gentleman um, just told us recently, this this year, as a matter of fact, that he had some pain in his calf and he just attributed it to getting older because he's over 40 now. Mm -hmm. And he was looking on our website because he was getting ready to participate in an event that we have to run, walk, or trot to stop blood clots. <laughs> and while he was on, yeah, just doing everything we can. Um, while he was on the website, he looked at the symptoms again and he thought to himself, wait a minute, actually, that is actually what I'm feeling. He went to the emergency room and initially they weren't going to sonogram his leg, but he demanded that they do so and found that he had a blood clot in his calf. Now, obviously, they were able to treat him because he demanded a sonogram of the painful area that he was dealing with in his leg and they put him on blood thinners and he's alive today because he demanded that they do a little bit more. So one of the things you have to do is be your own best um, healthcare advocate. And then if you have any clotting disorders in your family, so if you've heard of anybody in your family who's had a blood clot, that puts you at risk. So you have to communicate that to your doctor and demand that you want to be tested. Now, my understanding is obviously some of these tests are very expensive, but one of the things that qualifies you for the test is anyone in your biological family who has had a clot. One of the things that you mentioned earlier was that it's rare for people of color to have this trait. And so what type of people are commonly known to have this trait? So factor five lighting deficiency, believe it or not, has a German heritage. And again, that was something that we had no idea until we did our research, even the term light in itself. Um, is of German heritage, but it does exist in African-Americans as well. It's rare, but it is real. And obviously in our story, it is deadly. And so again, we really want people um, to find out what genetic disorders exist in their families. Bleeding and clotting disorders are just one of those things that um, it's important for you to know about your family. Well, you mentioned that the testing was expensive. So how would people go about finding out if they do have that trait? Is it just your annual physical? You know, how do people advocate when they're at their normal doctor, their primary care physician? 
start with your primary care physician and you know as stated before if you know of anyone in your biological family who has had a clot that actually qualifies qualifies you um, for the testing so because of my son's death um, everyone in our family both on my biological side and my husband's biological side were able to use um, his instance of death from this particular um, genetic disorder to qualify qualify them for testing. Um, the other thing that's very good locally here, um, the place is called the Bleeding and Clotting Disorders Institute, where they'll do free testing if if anything is related. Um, to bleeding or clotting, but there are places like that all across the country. And you start with your primary care physician, but then whether you have insurance or not, um, you can check with places like BCDI in your local areas. Okay, great. That's great information. And, you know, we've been talking about myths and misconceptions. We talked about you sharing and having the conversation with your children and your husband and having that discussion as a family. But as you know, that is not the norm in communities of color. And can you tell us a little bit about maybe how your village uh, accepted your decision to donate Devereaux's corneas or if people um, didn't understand your decision to donate, how did you overcome that? Well, initially, um, we did have some people who questioned because um, we used the term organ donation and they had no idea um, what from two that we donated. They just kind of questioned why we made a decision like that. And so we were very clear that we thought that um, as Christians, it was the right thing to do to give people um, an opportunity to live the healthiest life that they could possibly um, and for us to help any way that we could. Um, immediately following um, our initial donation or actually immediately following um, the year after uh, two passed away, we hosted a gift of life here at our church. We asked them to come in and um, put up a table in our in our area where people walk past um, before and after church services so that they can learn more um, because we didn't want people to not know that organ donation was okay. Um, and we're blessed in that my husband is a senior pastor at the church, so he has an opportunity to talk to people about things and to dispel some of the myths. So we partnered um, here at the church, as well as um, when we had our first run walk or trot to stop blood clots, we invited Gift of Hope to have a table out there as well. Our whole goal again is to help people understand the truth and to dispel so many of these myths or old wives tales as we like to call them. <laughs> You know, I, I want to thank you for that because it's so, so important. You know, I have a team of like 10 people, but they can't get all over the state right. to, you know, disseminate information. And so having volunteers like you and donor families like you is so important. And I want to talk about cornea, Devereaux being a cornea donor, because yeah. a lot of people give credence to organ donation but they don't recognize that tissue donation yes. is just important because it can be life-saving. Um, it's life-enhancing. 
uh, as you talk about, you know, giving someone the gift of sight, um, you know, giving someone the ability to walk again, giving somebody the ability to um, have their heart, you know, getting a heart valve, you know, being able to save their life um, just from that with a heart valve. And so cornea donation um, is huge. And I want to say this, my husband was a cornea donor as well as some other tissue, but I did receive a letter from his recipient and she was so happy. She just said that it had just completely changed her life. What do you want um, to come out of Devereaux's story and how do you plan, you know, to just create his legacy? I know you have the run, walk, trot, but you have really created a lasting legacy for him and his story. And so how do you share that not only, you know, with your families, um, you know, have you done anything like a foundation or anything that extends his legacy? Yes. So we do have the foundation and it's called Deborah Hubbard II Foundation. And um, we we spend a lot of time educating um, people about the signs and symptoms of blood clots. We give out scholarships. As a matter of fact, this year we're giving three kids $1,000 each Um in uh, college scholarships, as well as we take every opportunity that we can when we're allowed to tell our story to include the importance of organ and tissue donation. Because literally, the only way the life of your loved one can go on is if you're helping other people. And that's what we believe. And um, so that's what we want to do. Um, in addition to us calling to uh, the hawk, um, he called himself the king. So our mm-hmm. little joke, um, and when we do things in our family, um, talking about blood clots and organ donation, is we say, long live king too. Um, and <laughs> when we received the letter about the person who um, received um, his cornea, we were the first thing we said to each other was long live king too. Um, (laughs) that's so great. Yeah. And, and, you know, unfortunately we live in a world and in what we do for a living, both my husband and I work at a church, we deal with a lot of death and we take the opportunity to encourage families to honor the loved ones, their loved ones legacy by doing organ donations. Um, as a matter of fact, as you well know, through gift of hope, um, Two and another young lady who was a member of our church are being honored here in our city with the banners um, because uh-huh. they were both organ donors. And her mom and I spent a lot of time talking, you know, after her death and all of that. And and she thanked me because she even said, I probably wouldn't have even thought about this if you hadn't said you know, what you did with your son. Absolutely. And thank you for segueing into that because as you know, and I want our listeners to know that August is actually National Minority Donor Awareness Month. Yes. And it's where we celebrate the the gifts and honor the legacies of our donors um, who are members of communities of color, as well as our recipients, people who have received, um, and those who are on the waiting list. Yes. But we really honor, you know, our donor families. And so we've created, uh, I have a wonderful team and we've created these street banners. And so we're doing the banners, not only at the riverfront in Peoria, but in Springfield and up here in Chicago in the Austin neighborhood. Awesome. And to your point, we have selected donor families uh, that represent um, 
multicultural minority communities to be able to share their stories and have them front and center of the discussion. And these banners will allow people to look up and see the wonderful um, comments about your son, right? So he has um, some adjectives dedicated to him on his banner, as well as his handsome face. And so One, what does it mean to you to have him selected, to see his banner up on that pole? What, and then, you know, what is your family thinking and what are people saying when they've seen the banners? Well, we are truly honored. I mean, absolutely. You know, it's one of those things that tons of people surrounded us and were there for us and all of that after he passed away and life goes on for everybody else, but it doesn't really go on the same for you. So Mm -hmm. as his family, as his mom, it just gives me so much pride and joy and happiness to see his face down on the riverfront. It really gives me so much happiness. Nothing takes away the pain but the fact that he can still make a difference in the lives of other people means so much to me. Um, it means so much to my husband and, and my other kids. Um, my daughter, who is 23 now, um, was with me when we went down to see the banner. And she literally just jumped out the car and jumped up and down. And she was so excited. And she was like, Mom, take pictures of me with my brother. Take pictures of me with him. <laughs> you know, and, and we know nothing that we do will bring him back. But the fact that his life is still making a difference in the lives of other people, that means everything to us. We're so excited. And I'm so appreciative for you saying yes, because we really want the banners to encourage everyone to get the facts about organ and tissue donation, to talk to their families and be organ, eye and tissue donors, simply because a lot of folks don't understand the process of donation and what that means to be an organ donor. A lot of people, you know, you and I discussed earlier, think that if it's on their designated on their driver's license, oh, you know, they're going to take my organs. But really, I liken it to getting a new car, right? You get a new car and you don't worry about setting the clock, right? You just like, oh, I'll worry about it. Then daylight savings time comes and all of a sudden, oh, how do I set the clock? You can go into the glove compartment and get a manual Mm -hmm. and it tells you how to set Mm -hmm, the clock. mm -hmm. But when you leave the DMV, there's really not enough information for people to understand the process of donation mm-hmm. and really that no one's going to hit you over the head um, when you leave or follow you home to take your organs. It is really a process for you to to register and not think about it. Right. But we do want folks to have a conversation in case something tragic happens. And for both you and I, we had tragic circumstances mm-hmm. that we were not prepared for. And so that makes it, I think, a little bit more difficult So I just want to say thank you for this conversation today because it's going to be so impactful. I'd like to know, really, you know, what do you want families of color to know about organ, eye, and tissue donation? I want all families, but especially families of color, to have honest and truthful conversations about the fact that it is not only okay to be organ and tissue donors, it's actually what we should do. It's a part of our commitment to really live a life that is beyond ourselves and not selfish. 
So just like our family, we had those conversations with our kids when our kids were young. Now, obviously we weren't having it when they were three and four years old, but by the time our kids became teenagers, we talked to them about the importance of making a difference in this world. My kids were involved in community service because that's who we are and that's what we do. Those type of conversations need to take place around the dinner table, you know, at the family barbecue. We, we should know that, every, first of all, everybody's going to die one day. You know, no, I pray that it's, it's not at age 19 for anybody's children. I pray that it goes what we consider the normal way, where kids bury their parents, our parents burying their kids. But the conversations still need to take place about the importance of organ and tissue donation allowing life to truly go on. So what do I want? I want the conversations to take place so that it's not a question. I want people to know the truth and stop perpetuating the old wives' tales. I want people's legacies to live on by them being able to help other people. That's a fitting tribute to your son. This has been a wonderful conversation for me because I don't often get to talk to families that have a mirror story as my own. So I want to say thank you for coming on. Thank you for allowing us to use Devereaux for the the banners. And I hope one day that I will be able to come down and do the run, walk, trot with you, hopefully next year. Please keep me in mind and please continue to be the great volunteer you are because I think your story is so empowerful and so impactful for our audience. Thank you. And thank you, Marion. And I will keep you in my prayers as well. Cause our stories, like you said, man, are, are, dis, are, are hard. They're very hard. And in their similarities, I will just continue to pray. Cause I'm sure like, like in my situation, you'll never forget that crazy day. Well, Christy Hubbard, it has been a pleasure talking to you today. And I want to thank you for being my guest and I look forward to meeting you one day and I look forward to us continuing to disseminate the message about organ and tissue donation. Thank you, Mary, and thank you for the work you do. Hello, Tina Montgomery, Supervisor, Community Outreach. In my role, I'm responsible for raising awareness and educating the community about organ, eye, and tissue donation. The reason it is vital that minorities register to be an organ and tissue donor it's because the need for minority donors is critical. Nearly 60% of the more than 100,000 men, women, and children waiting for life-saving organ transplants are from multicultural communities. Although transplant can be successful regardless of race and ethnicity of the donor and recipient, the chance of longer-term survival may be greater if the donor and the recipient share a similar genetic background. 